0: you are listening to the evolution exchange podcast a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in the industry i'm liam mcdade co-founder of evolution australia and today i'll be your host Okay, welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange and also the first in our talent acquisition series. Our panel members today are all passionate talent acquisition leaders in the Australian tech industry. We'll be discussing how to attract and engage top tech talent in what is the most competitive market for software engineering talent, certainly that I've ever encountered in my 20 years in the industry. So, really looking forward to an insightful conversation. Without further ado, let's get on to the introductions. Over to you, Ollie. Yeah,
1: thanks a lot, Liam. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Ollie. I'm uh, Head of Talent Acquisition at Ento. Um, Ento is a workforce management platform. Uh, so we sit firmly in the, in the HR tech space, um, solving lots of weird and wonderful problems for, for lots of varied, varied businesses. Um, I manage a, a team of specialists who are ultimately responsible for attracting and engaging you know, the, the talented folks that make up Ento um you know we're a team that are split across sydney melbourne auckland and uh, toronto uh and you know we're we're ultimately i guess responsible for safeguarding the values and the culture by attracting people to the business for the for the right reasons
0: cool oh, thank you laura
2: thanks liam um i'm laura i'm the head of talent at PaperCut software we are a predominantly Melbourne-based uh, technology company. Our two co-founders uh, met at university, and and you know, kind of 25 plus years later, here we are. We're around 250 people in um, roughly seven countries around the world, um, with uh, you know a, pres- a presence in terms of our product in over 195 countries. So. Um, yeah, my role at Papercut is to, um, you know, attract and also develop our talent as we bring them into the business. And we often say that we are the most exciting company in the most boring part of IT as we um, actually build print management software. So really, we're on that journey to bring what is a kind of traditional piece of tech and a little bit old school into um, the future and Really, on an exciting journey to to move um, print management into the cloud space and play around with some cool technologies like 3D printing as well.
3: Cool. Thanks, Laura. Jordan. Cool. Cheers, Liam. Yeah, I'm Jordan. I'm a senior tech recruiter at SwiftX. We're Australian-owned and operated cryptocurrency exchange platform, um, predominantly Brisbane-based, and starting to put, you know build out our footprint down here in Sydney um, in terms of staff. We're across You know, we've got users across both Australia and New Zealand. We launched in New Zealand, I think, in October last year, and we've gone through some massive growth in the last 12 months where if we look back at April last year, we only had 30 or 40 employees. We're now over 200, and our user base in that same time went from 40,000 to over 500,000. So some pretty big plans this year to... Hopefully, double on both those things, and you know we used to celebrate every hundred thousand users, but now we're at five hundred thousand. We've got to wait until we get to the million. So hopefully, that's a good celebration, and then yeah, we'll look to get to around that sort of four hundred employees by the end of the year
0: if you know we can do our job well. Great, thanks, Jordan and Aileen.
4: Thanks, Liam. Um, Yeah, Aileen, I'm the Global Head of Talent Acquisition for Hanson Technologies, um, and we have been around for for 50 years, so we've been around for a little while there. Um, We essentially design and implement software within the um, energy and communication sector, Um, so we've got some really big um, customers um, worldwide, um, and it's a a really exciting time for us as we continue to go on that growth journey. Um, We're ASX listed as well, Um, so, yeah, just a, a really lot lots happening um in our spaces in all telco, um, not telcos in all tech companies at the moment
0: cool thank you okay so great panel um let's start the conversation with you ollie the um, you wanted to talk particularly about creating EVP or creating an EVP to align with candidate motivation. So over to you to give that a bit more context.
1: Yeah, cool. Thanks, mate. Um, I, I guess you know, I guess what I what I meant by this was um, trying to understand, you know, how much time and you know how much effort we put into understanding a candidate candidate's motivations and and drivers, and then how we tie that back to make sure, that, you know, that the parts of the EVP that we're, that we're selling ultimately kind of really hit home. So, you know, like EVP is this, you know, it's not this sort of immovable, immobile, unchanging, you know, monolith. It's, it's this ever-changing kind of all-encompassing concept, right? And, and we, we sort of uh, prescribe to the idea of a, a pretty agile EVP. So yeah, I guess the the sort of thought that I was thinking, or the, the sorry, the thought that I had was around, you know, understanding the psychology of of people's motivations and you know how we get to the how we get to the root of those of those drivers, um, and uh, and then yet yeah, how you how you tie that back to the parts of the EVP that that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh,
0: to there, I think the um it's it's really easy and tempting to to generalize that you know people are looking for these things in their lives or these things in their job or these things for an employer um and i think that particularly when we're talking about particular you know if you're recruiting software engineers more than more than anything else let's say then it's it's even it's perhaps even more tempted to generalize about you know what software engineers would want because then you can narrow that down even even further into you know what you would stereotypically uh, believe that, that that would motivate them. Um, I think where the difficulty comes into that is um, keeping that agile enough to bring a lot of uh, bring a lot of people in and, and and attract people with that, but also keep it aligned to what, what you know the values of the business. And you know, there's only so much agility you can have. You can't completely change the values or the EVP of a yeah. business because you want to hire this one person. Um, you know, but at some point, at some point, there's a fine line there, or there's a breaking point where you you kind of have to sacrifice. I suppose hiring that candidate. And how easy is it to identify where that line is? I suppose.
1: Yeah, like how,
0: how agile is agile? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> you know, yeah. Laura, you and know, I discussed uh, EVP um, quite a bit over the over our, our, our recent calls. What, how how's that? Um, how'd you address that at uh, Papercard? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: yeah I mean, look candidate candidate motivation has always been a really important part of our first screening call with with any candidate, just to understand you know what parts of our EVP are worth highlighting um, because to Ollie's point, you know evB EVP is so many different parts of your organization. Um, you know, you might have someone who, um, you know, is not willing to have a conversation with you because your flexibility isn't right. And then on the next call, the pers- the candidate says, I don't care what your flexibility policy is. Um, you know, I more want to know what you're doing in the diversity and inclusion space. So, you know, for us, it's about being adaptable with our process, making sure that we pull the right people in at the right time um, to speak with the candidate and almost having kind of your... EVP advocates, you know, identified within the business so that if you connect the candidate's motivation to something that one of those advocates could come in and kind of, um, you know, Spruik for your organisation that connects with their motivation that you can pull them in for for a casual coffee chat without disrupting the rest of your interview process. Um, that's something that we've done in the past. I'm not saying that we're perfect. We have a long way to go here, but I think as long as your EVP is predominantly values um, based, so we don't talk about culture fit. We talk about um, philo- you know values and philosophically aligned, um, and then also value add not only value add for the candidate coming into the business but value add of paper cut to them as an employer um, so that's kind of how we approach it at those initial stages when when we're assessing motivation we start looking ahead to the interview process to see if we can um, you know add anything in extra to to make sure that they they get those questions answered along the way
0: that's where the concept of an evp advocate is uh, an interesting uh, interesting idea how does how does someone become an evp advocate that's uh, is it particular people who've been there a long time or particular people who are aligned especially with certain of the values in the business how does that has that play out
2: it's definitely not a science um, you know it's not a, it's not a a role that we kind of assign people formally it's more so when we when we're talking to the candidates we think who might be the best person to come in and explain that particular part Of our organization or our culture. Um, So, if we take the diversity and inclusion example earlier, we would have someone from um, our diversity and inclusion regional working groups. Um, You know, I would tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, look, we're hiring this product manager. They've mentioned to me that diversity and inclusion hasn't been done well in their previous organisations. They're really interested to hear what we're up to. Would you be comfortable to have a, you know, 30 minute video call with them? Um, and, you know, the nature of paper cut is it's usually sure. Yeah, no problem.
0: Cool. I what do
4: you have yeah. Well, look, I think, I mean, Oli and Laura, you both sort of touched on this. You know, it isn't a one size fits all. And um, I was going through my head as you were both talking and I was thinking, oh, what has drawn me to companies in the past and, and what's been, um, you know, the, the attractiveness? And, again, it's, it's one of those things that it's not set in stone and, and how do you please everyone? Because what's valuable to me is, is not necessarily going to be valuable to the next person. Um, so I think that EVP is one of those things where, as organisations, it's that push and pull. And I, I think, Laura, in terms of what you said, uh, which I think is really relevant, that, that values piece, Ultimately, values really underpin what your EVP, um, you know, should should look like. Because if if you don't have that alignment, then what's the point of giving someone a, you know, a brand new car? If, <laughs> for example, if um, you know, your, your values are really not a lot, you know, they're not they're not great. Like drive without a seatbelt or whatever. Perhaps a bad example, but um, you know, it, it's one of those things that I, I think um it's a tough one for organisations in this day and age. And I don't think there is a, a right answer. Um, I think that it is a, a constantly evolving thing. Ollie, I think you made reference to that, that it, you know, it's not static. It is uh, going to continue to move. And it is about, um, I really like the advocate idea, Laura as well, um, that Liam picked up on as well, because you need to know that you're hitting the mark. Because on the flip side, if you do have something in your EVP that nobody picks up, I, I heard um, somebody mentioned recently, um, that they, there's an organisation that they were working at that had unlimited leave, for example. So that was great, but no one could actually take leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what is the point of having that as an, is it really an EVP when, well, hold on a second, you, you can't actually take leave.
2: So. Yeah, That's exactly right, and I think one of the reasons why I really like the idea of pulling additional people in um, to the process where it makes sense is because we can sell it one way as talent acquisition professionals, but hearing it from another person in the business speaks to the true culture of the organisation, and that's where it translates from marketing into reality, so that the candidate can go, okay, I'm actually going to experience this if I join this company.
0: I so the, the only thing that gives you the opportunity to, to do that or the platform to do that is that you've taken an interest in that very first conversation with them, at least to understand, you know, you're going to, the next person you meet is going to be someone from our, our team and dependent on, you know, what you're told in that, in that, uh, in that first interview about what's important to them, their, you know, push and pull factors, their motivators, things they're passionate about, then you would, by the sounds of it, then selects someone who's the best fit for that. So just by asking that question up front, in that, in that first call, and actually caring about what what they're you know, identifying, what that is, enables you to then do a better job of, of aligning that with their, their, their own individual intrinsic motivation.
2: And I think also, if you listen to how they answer the first couple of questions, I'm sure many of us ask generic questions about, you know, what do they already know about the business, or what attracted them to apply, those sorts of questions. Typically, you can hear in those answers what they've focused on, and what has caught their eye and then it's around you know kind of double clicking on that and digging a little bit deeper and going okay well if that's what motivated you to apply then you know to Aileen's point it's probably not because we have some fancy financial benefit over here it's actually you know because you're looking for a different type of working environment you know as an example.
1: Yeah I, I think that's what of Sorry, I think that's one of the key points, right? We, we might ask sort of similar questions, but we probably also hear very similar answers uh, a lot of the time. So, you know, really, really kind of going a layer deeper on, yeah, I like to solve problems and I like to collaborate and, you know, all of, all of those kind of stock standard answers that uh, you very often hear. Um, I, I guess that was the that was the real interesting piece for me is just how you how you go about going that that layer deeper.
0: Jordan, just to bring you into the conversation, you know you're um, probably representing the uh, the youngest business on the on the panel today, and um, have, you know in, in probably the youngest industry as well. Um, you know, how have you imagine that creation of that EVP has been a relatively recent thing at, at, at SwiftX? How how's the journey been on on, on, on doing that?
3: Yeah, definitely. I think it's obviously still, you know, a big work in progress. And, you know, we're looking to hire new people into the business to help us work on that sort of stuff. But I think we are kind of lucky in a way where, you know, crypto is such a hot buzzword, you know, to some people where it's almost like, you know, if someone is a user of our platform in particular, or even another platform, it's such an easy, you know, like, process of, you know, sending them an email and, you know, getting them to reply and, you know, having a chat and finding out what the interests are. But I think for the people that, I guess, aren't necessarily into crypto as, you know, an investor or trader or anything like that, I think it, it can start earlier than them coming into the process, the whole EVP stuff and trying to align it to their candidate motivations by, you know, taking that little bit longer on a candidate's profile and trying to, you know, pinpoint something that, does align to your EVP or your values that you can call out in a message, as opposed to just your standard, hey, we're looking for a senior react engineer, like come work with us, for a cool company type thing where, you know, or if you find any like medium articles or something they I've done on GitHub that then aligns into it, it's an easier conversation starter, I think, because you're calling something out that you're not making up and, you know, it shows them you have taken that time to dig a little bit deeper into their profile as well.
0: I imagine as a a company that's grown as as quickly as you have, um, that EVP is is being continually defined as you go along and you hire more and more people and you have a more and more diverse workforce and, you know, things that perhaps weren't important to the first 40 people are now important to a lot of the last 100 people. And so that EVP just naturally evolves through the people that are are working in the business and, and forming that business at such an early stage of your life.
3: Yeah, 100%. I think it's like when, obviously we're a Brisbane-based company and a lot of the recruitment has been in Brisbane. And when I first started, recruiting here in Sydney for, for our Sydney offers, I thought, okay, this should be pretty easy. You know, crypto is hot. Everyone likes crypto or is interested in crypto or at least the technology behind it. Um, and it, it did struggle a little bit where people just weren't replying. So I kind of had to, you know, take a step back and look at what I was doing to what message can I try and communicate to people. Um, you know, it was very hard to try and get you know, females in particular interested in you know crypto type roles i think they're a little bit more risk adverse than males just naturally um so i think they see crypto is a uh, little bit more of a risk but our um you know like we're uh, just over 25 you know females across the business and that's you know pretty awesome for a company of our size and the industry we're in i think
0: cool thanks for that um so laura actually that so your your point to follow on from that i think you've already addressed to a certain extent, which was how can we ensure that the EVP is being communicated effectively prior to and throughout the interview process? You've given us some good insight there in terms of how your um, your interview process is structured from, you know, understanding what what people's EVP or sorry, what people's motivators are, from, you know, in, in that respect. Is there any more, any more context that you want to take that, that conversation in a slightly different direction?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the reason why I, um, you know, kind of bring up the, the point I did earlier was because we have struggled in this area. Um, you know, we have noticed that the market has shifted dramatically. You know, the, the level of engagement that you have to ensure that a candidate has at each stage of the process um, is, is, you know is it has a large toll on the the talent team um, or the talent partner who's who's taking them through the process. Um, We are having, for the first time in our history, people reject offers, right? We'd we'd never had that prior to the pandemic. Um, You know, it's. I think it is a sign of just how much choice there is for the candidates on the market um, and the fact that they can accept a role with us and then two days later, Um, you know, have another offer on the table and quite happily call us and say, you know, I no longer accept that role. Um, I will not be starting with you. So it's really forced us to look um, at ourselves and say, OK, what can we do to make sure that when we get to that offer stage, we are the top of their list? And that's what I often say to the team. We know we're not going to be the only ones, so let's not have that as our goal. We just want to know that we're going to be at the top. And how do we make sure that that will happen? So, you know, having a more bespoke interview process, which I mentioned earlier, is not about completely disrupting a process that you have really well defined and, and um, you know, um, you know something that you you have used for a long time, really clear assessment criteria. It's not about that. It's not about the sake of hiring someone. Um, and, you know, not going through the process, but it's about, you know, what are those extra things that we can be doing? So we also have our candidate experience surveys that go out at certain touch points. So if you are, if you are hired or you are rejected, you will have um, at least one to two surveys throughout your process. Um, And so trying to get also some further insights there to see what questions are being left unanswered, you know, so halfway through what would they still like to know more about? Um, and then obviously learning from our candidates who do come on board um, who or who are rejected around their experience. But, yeah, the reason my, my topic is that, Liam, is because it's been our biggest struggle over the last kind of 12 to 18 months.
0: Yeah, interesting on the, the, the um, your point about the survey there. Do you, uh, so we, we do the same when candidates that we're representing to our clients um once they've attended an interview they get a survey in terms of how was their experience you know with the client and and, and you know in terms of the of the promotion of the role and you know the feel of the office when people used to be in offices um and how, how do you find the um uh, response to those in terms of because I, I suppose one of the things that we've we've found is that um some candidates see that as an additional part of the interview process like it's difficult for them to um perhaps be honest because they think oh the person who's interviewing me is going to see this mm-hmm. so i want to you know there's it, it, perhaps a bit of a, a bit of a veil there sometimes have you, have you found that or or is it is it presented a different way perhaps
2: ours are um what's known um in culture amp which is what we use as unattributed surveys so we can't actually tell who has um you know provided that individual response so I mean, the candidates don't know how many people we're speaking to at once. So if we were to go in daily, we could probably figure it out. Um, but we're not. We're not we're not going in there that often. We're really waiting until there's a few responses so that we can look at patterns and trends and, and adjust for future candidates. So it's not something that necessarily helps us with that particular candidate. It more so is insights for us to adjust moving forward.
0: And, and what have there been any key insights that you've learned from that that process? <laughs> those
2: dates. yeah, I think I think definitely uh, you know the motivation piece that that Ollie brought up before is is, is choosing the particular topics to um, dive deeper on to give the candidate a better understanding. So if your motivation is more on the tech, dive deeper on that. If it's more on you know um the the human aspect and um, you know other things that the business is doing, you know dig deeper on that. We had a product manager who unfortunately, Rejected us at the final final hurdle and and accepted the offer and and then um, you know went back on that because she felt as though the other business um, provided her an opportunity to make a bigger impact. She had made an assumption that we were further along on our cloud journey than we are. So there was you know kind of this. Um, assumption that the smaller business would allow her to make a bigger impact in the cloud space rather than coming to a larger business that had a small cloud team that was growing so lots and lots of back and forth and and hard work put in by Jimmy our talent partner but you know she still decided to not go with us but it was a really big learning learning for us to 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 understand you know that motivation and try and thread that throughout the entire process so that at the end um, you know, they can't think of anyone else but us. Well,
0: Ollie, do you have any um, any insights on that?
1: Though? Yeah, yeah. I, I was um, I was just going to empathise probably with Laura a little bit. I, you <laughs> know, I, I often say that nothing really surprises me about people anymore. But uh, yeah, the last you know 12, 18 months, two two years, I've, I've just heard some of the most ludicrous stories and reasons for not accepting offers <laughs> that that I've probably ever heard. And you know, <laughs> I guess maybe just. A little bit glad to hear that other people are experiencing that as well. Um, <laughs> the, the, I guess the, the other point I was, um, I was going to make is, you know, around how you articulate EVP and, um, y- you know, having that kind of consistency that you're talking about between the hiring team and the talent acquisition team and your marketing team, right? How that's going out to the, to the, to the industry is, is critical, and I, I think something that. You know we do we do pretty well at ento and we, we spend a lot of time on is really identifying like what the usps are for this role what are the projects going to be that they're going to work on when they come in and really like front loading on the prep for for how we go to market with with the role so that in theory when we get to that point and and we're we're explaining the role it is super consistent across you know as i say talent acquisition hiring manager who, whoever it is that that comes into contact with, um, you know, with the candidate. <clears throat> and, um, and I guess the, the other point there is just, you know, time, time kills deals, right? So protect, protect the interview process as like, as, as at all costs, and uh, get rid of those internal meetings that uh, that don't count, and, and people try and uh, move them around to, to not do interviews. So, yeah, I guess those are, those are a couple of thought bubbles from, uh, from the Ento side.
0: Aileen, did that strike a, struck a chord with some of the uh, experience at Hanson recently or, or in previous?
4: Uh, oh, yeah, look, I think um, we've all we all empathise and we're all nodding our heads and say, yeah, we've been there and yeah. sort of smirking because um, absolutely. It's it's one of those things that it is it just is what is happening. and And I mean, globally. In, in certain countries, it's even more challenging. Um, you know, we've got a large cohort, um, both in my previous company and, and now at Hanson, we had a large cohort in, in India. And, you know, those markets where you're competing, where, where a lot of companies are going in, um, you know, and setting up sort of back of house functions or, or a lot of development um, functions, you know, there there's a massive war um, uh, and, and competition to, to take people. And um, it, it's it's quite incredible. The, what they call the, the shopping around that candidates do because they know that they have the the power to. Um, I was actually going to ask liam, you stole my question. I was going to oh, ask Laura the same sorry. question about what 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 learning she's taken away so no it's really great to hear because I think that that is something you know the data collecting the data is is so important um because really that's only that is how you can move the needle because all well and good what what we may think and again it sort of brings me back a bit full circle to what I said earlier um you know what's important to me versus what's important to you versus what's important to somebody else um can you know it could be really really different and, and completely you know polarized so um it's only through that collection of data that we can start to learn and understand. So um, that's a that's a really great thing, I think, Laura, that you and your your team are doing there.
0: Yeah, I think it's important that you know to collect the data and ask the questions is one thing, and this is something that we've you know we've we've talked about in, internally in our leadership meetings. We have a um, we use uh, PCON, uh, which is now now Workday um, for our anonymous um, employee surveys and. You know what's it like to work here? The the culture, the you know the training, the motivation, the strategy, all the all all, all manner of things. Um, and we get lots of detailed feedback, and it's all anonymous, so there's the yeah you know, even more detail than you 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 might, not, might normally expect. And it's really a case of you know if you're going to ask for it, you're not always going to hear things that you want to hear. You're going to see some things that you know might might you might take personally in certain situations. Um, particularly as, you know, as a leader in the business. Um, but if you're going to ask the question, you've got to do something about the answer.
4: Absolutely. Get,
0: get, getting, yeah. ask, ask, you know, just asking the questions for, for questions sake, and then yeah. someone pours their heart out and says, you know, this is what I think. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of go, okay, well, we don't think that. Never mind, and move on. But well, you actually, you actually, been better off not asking the question in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So having, having, the, having, the data, having the data there is, is great, but you can actually do anything with it. So it's really, really good that um, you know you, you took that, took that learn and have, and have seemingly kind of, uh, um, you know, tailored your, 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 um, interview and engagement process off the back of that. So,
2: well, I think um, you have to ask yourself, yeah,
0: really-
2: why are you, why are you asking the questions. For us, it was because yep. we're committed to continuous improvement. So exactly, as yep. soon as we hear the feedback, we act to pivot immediately if we can. Obviously, you can't yep. act on every piece of feedback you get.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've we've had some really interesting requests in our, <laughs> <laughs> in our employee survey, which are, I'm not I'm not I'm not sure some of them are um are even uh, are even practical, let alone, um, <laughs> yeah. let alone something that we would we be able we'd be able to. Be able to do. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, I think that 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 leads us nicely into you know, while well, we're talking about. Um, you know, engaging candidates through a process into to Jordan's point here around. Um, I won't put words into your mouth, Jordan, but um, you know how to how to balance that agility with diligence, how to make sure that the process is engaging and quick and insightful, but not so. Quick that we're not, you know, putting the right level of diligence in and, and being thorough enough um and end up with you know hiring the wrong people so jordan I'll just pass that over you over to you for some additional context on that
3: yeah thanks yeah absolutely i think it's like it comes back to that you know very agent agency type sort of statement but the you know the quality versus quantity like what do you want you want both ideally you want a lot of good people In a speedy manner um and i think that's kind of the same you know internally as well where the the process right you want to make sure you're doing your due diligence but not letting that drag out for weeks on end um being you know agile and quick enough to turn things around in a in a manner where you're going to be front of mind of that candidate there's not If anyone knows any candidates that are only interviewing at one place, let me know. But there's no candidates out there that are doing that. So you've got to expect that they're going to be interviewing at, you know, two, three more places. And then you're probably going to compete with a counter offer as well um, on top of your offer. So I think, you know, the, the easiest way where I think you can compete is on process. Um, you know, especially if you're, if you're at a company where you can't necessarily compete on money or, you know, equity and that sort of stuff. I think process is the quickest way and the easiest way to be able to compete against the bigger companies. And um, it's like that thing, right? If you get if you get to an offer to a candidate before any other company can, then you're more chance of closing them and getting them to come on board. So what we've done recently at SwiftX is we've created a process for, this is for tech roles in particular, but we give a candidates a choice of, I guess, how they want to go through the process and, you know, almost choose your own journey type, type scenario where we don't just when it comes to that sort of tech tech test stage we give the candidates an option do they want to do an online tech test at home in their own time or would they prefer to do a live coding pairing whiteboarding type interview because we have got to realize is what one candidate likes and is good at isn't the same for everyone and you are going to miss out on candidates if you only choose one because I think normal tech tests they're so matter of fact you don't get any context or insight whereas you know with the live coding type one it's almost more important about the discussion that's had as opposed to what they produce so you hope a candidate is going to choose one that they're more confident in or one that they've done previously or maybe what they did to get their current job and to yeah be in control of their journey throughout the process
4: buddy
0: what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting. This was uh, this was a pretty pretty interesting conversation on the TADU um, Slack channel the other day. I think there was a couple of contributors who are on this call um, uh, th- there as well. Um, it was really interesting to see, you know, like the number of stages, the amount of kind of contact time that the other businesses uh, put into their process. Um, you, at Into, we. Like we we minimise contact time. We we effectively have three hours of, of contact time between Ento and and a candidate. You know one two and, and three stages. Um, and I guess it comes back to my my earlier point around like time kills deals. I think you know Jordan you, you you're spot on. I think for a smaller more nimble business, very often you know being being the first being the first to um, to make an offer makes it makes a real big impact. Um, you know so we, we we do little things like empowering our TA specialists to just book first round interviews with with our hiring managers, right? Not having to wait for approvals, you know, having a hiring manager to uh, actually read through a CV or, or anything like that. You know, so little little things like that can really, you know, speed the process up. And um, and again, to, again, I suppose to my earlier point as well, just really front loading on the requirements that, that you know whether it's in your intake form we we call it a, a hiring plan but really front loading on what those requirements are so that you can hire someone as soon as you find the person that hits those requirements and you're not benchmarking five engineers against each other who have all done slightly you know di- slightly differently or slightly better in in certain areas than than others so yeah i think um yeah time time kills deals and and being able to move move through the process quickly while while keeping the uh, the requisite amount of diligence is yeah super, super
0: important. Laura, this is something you and I discussed at quite some length the other day. What's mm. uh, your, your, your thoughts on that? I see, I see you, you're nodding a lot as Oli was talking there, so I see some uh, agreement on that.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with with a lot of what Ollie has said. Um, I controversially also think that um, being too quick can kill a deal as well. And we've had this come up recently, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier around the, the just the abundance of choice um, for candidates. Sometimes if you're the first, it's, oh, but I have others that I'm waiting on, and I, yeah. I want to know what they're going to offer me. Um, and then speaking of candidate feedback, we had a candidate who said, I felt rushed. I feel like that just all happened way too fast, and I don't know how to feel about it. So, you know, going back to aligning candidate motivation, it's not only aligning with their motivation; it's a, it's aligning with the, you know, how they want to go through the process. Um, you know, to to Jordan's point, giving the an option, um, you know, to you know potentially uh, do do one part of the process a certain way, but even push out a stage. Talk to them about, you know, okay, we're talking now. Would it be best if you speak to, um, you know, someone from the the, um, the team, uh, you know, sometime this week, or would you like that conversation to occur next week? Um, but having to balance that with, are they telling me the truth about how many other processes they're in and what stage they're at? Um, you know, or are they just pulling me al- along? And am I going to get my fifth medical emergency cancellation that I have this month? The medical emergencies are out of control in the in the tech industry in Melbourne at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything that's been said. If you if you front load on your um your definition of the role of the criteria that you're going to assess, if you you know firmly believe that the process that you have will result in a strong hire or no hire decision without you having to see four or five other candidates to compare, but you were able to make a decision just based on how that one candidate performed in your process, then you can push forward and make that decision quite quickly. So you need everybody on your panel aligned with what you're looking for, Um, and what we do, is we book in a post interview huddle so everyone who is involved at all stages comes to the post interview huddle and we look for a unanimous higher no hire and we challenge each other we challenge assumptions we challenge bias we you know challenge kind of um the assessment ratings that have come through um, and that that has helped us get everyone on the same page and make quick hiring decisions to the point where we could have a draft contract in that person's inbox by that afternoon of the huddle if we if we wanted to and typically the huddle is within 24 hours of the last interview
0: yeah i think that's the um your point. the start of that around there is such a thing as too quick um absolutely you know there, there's again it's one of those fine lines that you want to be um you want to be seen as decisive you want to be seen as you know agile you want to be seen as um you know not being um you know challenged by red tape and bureaucracy um but people don't want to feel like it's they've been hired out of desperation as well right mm. um, you know we've they've been up think of uh, not many but you know a couple of occasions in the last year or so where we're talking to talking to a, a, a client who's hiring for a particular role or roles, and we talked about their interview process, and they said, yeah, look, it's just the one interview, and then we made the offer. Right? uh, we wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're an agency, right? So, you know, you'd, I suppose the you would expect the agency to go, okay, sounds great. <laughs> um, but it's just, you know, in this day and age, you know, I remember when that was the standard many years ago, and, you know, you, you met someone for an hour, and you hired them, or you didn't. Um, but now it's just just seems so alien and, and and even if it's, you know, you might have. The most, um, yeah, diligent, uh, you know, um, the recruitment process there is you might leave no stone unturned in that one interview. But it's just, I just think, you know, uh, candidates would run them off from that these days because it just feels like, well, how can I know that I want to join that company after that period of time, even if they want me to join them? You know, just tonight, maybe it's, it's probably the reverse of when, you know, people didn't want to join companies that had four stage interview processes 10 years ago It's the reverse now. It's gone completely the other way. So it's really interesting that, you know, where that, where that sweet spot is in the middle, I think, you know, I'd probably say that four is still, is still on the long side, on the too many side, but one is probably worse in my, in, in, in certainly in our opinion. Um, and it seems that, you know, that's something that's shared around the group, which is good. Jordan, you've got, uh, got a comment on that? Yeah,
3: I think it's one of those things, right, like as recruiters, we're like one stage interview, like cool, let's turn stuff around. But like you said, you want to make sure you're doing your due diligence and making sure the candidates don't feel like they're just hiring any product manager or any software engineer that they Mm -hmm. interview with. And I think, you know, as recruiters, you know, we know if a candidate might want to have another chat with someone else um as well so what we do as well we do offer that to you know when we think it's needed as well we ask the question is there anyone in the business you know that you want to speak with um we get our founder to jump on calls you know for half an hour with candidates at times if a candidate asks that or we think that's needed as well which i think is you know, super cool for a company of our size and the growth we're going through that a founder will do that and I think that comes back to something that Ollie said before about recruitment kind of being a priority and taking priority over internal meetings that is like our number one rule in uh, at Swiftex so that recruitment is everybody's number one priority so we've got the ability and the power to book over stuff that is already in hiring managers Diaries uh, because the interview needs to take is that number one there and i think as well something that you know having too short of a process does is it doesn't allow a candidate to meet a diverse group or enough of a diverse group of people across the business so something we've started rolling out is that hiring managers don't necessarily hire for their squads or for their teams to try and remove that bias of I really need a front-end engineer. This person's okay. We'll just bring him on. So you're almost getting them to hire for someone else because then it removes that bias of let's just get this person on board because I need this project or there's a deadline in three months, that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I 100% agree with everything that that Jordan said. And and similarly, we have um, particular like interviewing teams. We don't just rely on on the, the 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 squad themselves to to do their own interviewing. We we look for that cross section and um yeah i um yeah i completely agree with what you're saying jordan like that that due diligence is it it has to be on both sides and i personally would not accept a role where i only spoke to one or two people from the organization and we were talking about this on um, a linkedin thread this week around what do we think Um, has contributed to to some of the the shift in the number of candidates who are willing to actually participate in interviews. And the question was kind of posed, do we think it's because back in the day you used to have to fake a dentist appointment or a doctor's appointment um, or say you had to pick your kids up from, you know, some excursion or something like that? And now it is, I really feel that the candidates are willing to invest more time. And the research backs this up in the sense of what people are looking for, um, you know, being more purposeful uh, work. Looking for um, companies that have a vision that they can get behind, um, companies that you know have strong corporate social responsibility. Understanding, you know, what else that they do outside of their core business. You know, um, your businesses are really expected to um, have a, a, I suppose, a position on what's going on in the broader community, the the environment, et cetera, et cetera. So to ha- be able to put all of that forward to a candidate, you can't do that in one or two conversations and I think that they're willing to invest more time so that they can make um, you know that that critical decision for themselves, um, especially if you're working remotely, you you know your whole experience is going to just be your interactions with with your colleagues um, over zoom or email or slack or or something like that. I think it's it's just, it goes to show the shift in the market that people are willing to invest this much time um, into interviewing.
0: Yeah, a- Aileen, you're um, obviously the representative of a uh, of the the certainly the the biggest company on the on the group. How's I can imagine that you know a- agility of process is perhaps more difficult to achieve in an in an organisation of your size. How's how's that been?
4: been yeah. A- yeah, look, good, good question there, Liam. And I was sort of sitting back, listening to you all, and just thinking, oh, you know, you're you're perhaps in you know smaller, more nimble organisations where we've got, you know, uh, w- we have people that join that um, across regions and and countries and so forth. So it isn't as it can't just be a, a few or you know one or two um, interviews because we may have someone sitting here, but they're. Um, you know they're, they're working in also with teams in in say Vietnam or, or the US or so forth. So to make sure in, in that fairness piece, which everyone I think has sort of um, made a comment about, giving every re- giving the person a, a really good viewpoint of okay, well, what is the company? Because the other thing to factor in is you know that there's there's cultures, there's different cultures. Which as much as you've got um, you know your, your local culture, but if people are working um, in in other areas or having to work really closely with teams in, in other regions, then he adds another layer. So I guess for us, um, and again, be, because we are, uh, you know, we've been around 50 years, we we have gone through that process of what it was like to interview back in the 70s all the way through to the 80s, 90s and and, and now, um, which is really fascinating to hear as well, how some people have, um, you know, got jobs historically at Hanson and so forth. So I, I think, like everyone, it's it's finding it is finding um, a middle ground, and what I'm hearing is we're all in that on that same journey together. Because again, it goes back to um, one size that does not fit all.
0: Yeah, well, that's that that brings us again nicely into the um, you know we've we've created the EVP, we've communicated it through our you know perfectly tailored and agile uh, diligent process. Now, again, to the office stage, and, and Aileen, you wanted to discuss. Um, the factors that, that make a job offer better than a competitors to increase the likelihood of securing the best candidates. So I would choose to give that, give that some context.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, look, I think um, it's it, taking into, into consideration everything that's been shared so far. Um, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. I mean, we have heard and, and we've seen those companies that, that put it out there on LinkedIn that are offering incredible salaries Massive sign-on bonuses, um, you know, thousands to spend on well-being, TVs, it's you get a car, you get a car kind of, you know, it's <laughs> we've, we've all seen them, we've, we've heard them. Um, some of us may have lost candidates to those companies. However, that that's just a small fraction. I think that one of the things that we have to be really cognizant of is that that isn't that is not the majority of organisations, and I think hearing you know from from everyone on the panel today, we're all the the one thing that we've got in common is that we're all trying to find a, a common you know where 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 is the EVP at? Where do we sort of draw the line? Um, because the other element is not all companies are billion dollar companies with endless budgets, and and I think it's important to to really highlight that because as I was thinking about this, I thought oh yeah most people will be like, yeah, show me, show me the money. But I, I like to take a a step back and I always like to refer back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and for those of you, uh, i assume most people are familiar, but for anybody listening who may not be, um, just a a really quick overview, it's divided into sort of three basic parts. It's, it's the basic needs, psychological and self-fulfillment needs. Um, and, and I think that whenever I, I am looking at, um, you know, how we're putting ourselves out there. What is the differentiator between why someone would would come to us and and or or reject a competitor? Um, I always think, you know, let's look at the let's go back to the basics, the basic needs. And if we sort of look at that bottom um, part of that of Maslow's um, hierarchy, you know, it talks about um, it, it does talk about the the safety and, and the basic psychological needs with sort of warmth, water. So that, you know, being able to survive, essentially. And so to me, that that kind of sits in nicely with pay a fair wage. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to have the 100K. I mean, it'd be nice. You don't have to have the 100K sign-on bonus, but be fair in what's in market. If you're going to expect somebody to come and work for you and you're going to be paying them below market and expecting them to be available 24-7, then you know, you, you really got to check yourself. Um, then there's that middle point that that psychological need people want to feel part of something. We underestimate, I think sometimes that, that purpose and the clarity of purpose. Um, I'm sure we all come across Simon Sinek and, and the why, um, uh, (laughs) you know, in, in link, LinkedIn survey recently, there was um, 86% of, of young employees reported being willing to give around, to give ground on title and compensation to work for a business that was aligned to their values or mm-hmm. mission. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I saw 86%, I definitely sat upright and went, say what? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because that's that's a huge proportion. And, and again, it sort of really plays into this feeling a part of a purpose. And and often it's it's one of those things that you can become really complacent in when you've been with an organisation for a long time because you know, but how do you then, you know, how do you then articulate that out? And I think, Laura, it probably goes back to your point of your, your advocates, you know, um, having those sort of champions that will continue to highlight that because we can forget, we can forget that, oh, hold on, that is actually an, a really cool thing that we do here or that is the purpose that we're um, attached to. Um, and then going back to sort of that, that um, hierarchy, you know, that self-fulfillment, it is so important. And the one thing that I'm really, um, really firm on is we talk about, oh, we want the best talent. I'm sure we've all had that conversation where our hiring manager has said, I want this, this and this, and it's, it's that unicorn. And I often challenge it by saying, you know, where are we as a business, because if we want, we want a highly. There's nothing worse than bringing somebody in who's highly innovative, you know, really smart and driven, who's working on the latest technology, um, continually pushing the boundaries. But you, as an organisation, are working on legacy technology, and you've got no money to invest in R and I mean, to me, that that really spells out that a candidate would take would go to a competitor. So I think it's really and and sometimes this is really hard because we don't want to you know, to look inward. And I think, um, Laura, you mentioned this as well before about that looking inward and, and through your surveys, you know, looking at yourself and saying, oh, okay, maybe we're not quite there. Maybe that's not us. And it's great to be aspirational, but you have to be honest. You have to be really transparent because at least it gives the individual the opportunity to choose and self-select. Yeah. And it is the one thing that I'm re- I really advocate and it's probably it is a lot harder than than what it seems because in this world where we are competing we're competing you know people some people are moving fast others are you know there's different drivers um you know Jordan to your point about crypto I've actually heard a lot of uh, I do a bit of mentoring with with younger um like grads and you know when they hear stuff like crypto and they want to work for companies like that so um but you know we, we don't all have that luxury that people are drawn to that so we, we still have to be honest with ourselves. What are we offering and where are we at with an organ as an organization? And where is that journey? And and I I like to think that, you know, whenever I have conversations with, with candidates and I hope that what they take away is that I'm always really transparent. You know, if you want to go to into a well-oiled machine, then this is the type of company. But if you want somewhere where there's going to be challenges and things are going to be a little bit uh choppy and up and down, then then this is what we've got for you. And this is what a challenge looks like. And these are some of the barriers, and this is some of the land, you know, the landscape that we're currently navigating. Um, again, to give people that certainty and, and to give you really um really go to that that needs and make them feel that they're in control, but they're also it, it's suiting their purpose. Because everyone's EVP is very different.
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting point around um, you know, People are always talking about the best candidate. When actually the probably the full term is the best fit candidate. Doesn't have to be the best software engineer in the world. It needs to be the best fit to this environment or this project or this task or this stack. and yeah I, I, you know that's i wonder how how often that is um brought into the brought into the thinking of when when making an offer to somebody across industry i'm not necessarily talking about any of our businesses of course um but you know how often that is that is brought into the thinking when making a decision and offering somebody a job um when they they they, they seem like a really 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 good candidate they're very very good at what they do um, you know, and it's, I suppose it's really important to your point about making sure that we can support that, that we've got an environment where they can they can flourish, they're going to get stifled, you know, are we, you know, and actually being honest about, okay, well, are we the best company in the world? And if we're not, then let's make sure that we're attracting people that are the same level as us with the same values. And I suppose it comes all the way full circle to what we're talking about right at the start of the conversation about or matching up. What was important to that person? What what's what's the best company to them? I'm sure we all believe the companies we work for are the best companies. Obviously, <laughs> right? obviously, okay. um, yeah. um, but but you know, it's, they're the best for us, right? If we all just swap jobs tomorrow, we'd all be lost, right? But we are we are in the companies that we're at, we're in, in, in 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 key roles in, in in companies that we are we're passionate about and we believe in, so they're the best fit for us. Um, I wonder how often. You know, we expect, we always expect the candidates to think that to, 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 to make that assessment of are we the best company for them to join right now? We, you know, we pitch the benefits of working here and the EVP and the values and these types of things. Um, but do we, is it always done in reverse? Yeah, really it's really easy and tempting to not do that so yeah you know, even, even even subconsciously because you sort of hire the best people right we want the best software engineers you want the best product people whatever it might be so yeah really interesting point I thought Aileen um Ollie.
1: yeah thanks mate that was there was a lot there was a lot of points there Aileen um and I was trying to make mental notes of which bits to to to, to talk about but I you think you can what, listen what, to what,
4: me again later yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great um look I I think like i think ultimately what we can't forget is that when we put an offer to someone and and when you know someone is in that kind of process of deciding whether whether or not to join a new business that that is a, a deeply deeply personal process and you know so many people so many people identify through what they do right and the, and they attach a lot of their identity to to the job that they do so you know some people are some people are impressed with speed like we have talked about others are impressed by the you know the work that the company does you know some people were impressed by the logo over the door right it it, it is it is a deeply a deeply personal thing and i think like you said it just comes full circle back to have we understood their their motivations have we understood the parts of the evp that align with those motivations and then you know does that work does that work both ways and you know i think if you if all those stars align then and that's how, that's how it works.
0: Jordan, you had your your, uh, your hand up there, you? your light on there.
1: Whoops, uh. <laughs> yeah,
3: I think that's like what, what you're saying there, Ollie, is that at the end of the day, I think a lot of people forget where we already work at the company. So uh, as what Liam was saying as well, before we think our company is the best for whatever reasons. But at the end of the day, that software engineer or product manager needs to turn up for them every day, right? They need to get out of bed every day to to go to work. So I think, you know, even asking questions that might be a little bit uncomfortable to ask that you maybe don't want to hear the answer to throughout the process questions like, what is your decision making process? Like, you know, if you are, if they are interviewing at other companies, like if you take money aside, if the money was the exact same at all these different companies, like how would you make your decision? And then I think that comes back to, that allows you to dig deeper into their motivations of what it really is that they're looking for. And look, I've got nothing against people wanting a pay rise um as as a reason because they feel like they're underpaid especially with the market at the moment that people are on salaries are on before COVID. i've got no problem with that and if they communicate that up front then you know that's where speed's going to have to come in right that's going to be have to be a quick process that has enough insight and get them the best off you can i then think it is as well is that how excited do we get as recruiters when we do say yep we want to offer that candidate this role this much and we just want to get on the phone straight away and just like hey got you this offer." i think it's taking a step back and especially they are interviewing elsewhere asking them and trying to find out like when they will be in a position to make a decision on an offer so that you don't just offer them on a monday morning because you've got that approval at nine o'clock and then it sits with them for a week and then they can use that at other companies to to get more, it's let the other companies offer them first. You know, hold off, tell them that we do look, we really do like you. We want to offer you a role, but when are you going to be in a um, you know the position to make a decision within you know twenty four, thirty six hours? That's when you give the offer, and then you know pray to the recruitment gods. <laughs> they're
0: they're a real thing, hundred percent. Exactly, um, <laughs> Aileen.
4: Yeah, look, I think I think the other part to this um is in terms of, you know, how much is is um the, the day and age that we're living in really driving this whole what the best candidate means? Because some, you know, when I when I look at sort of industrial revolution 4.0 4.0 and you know, every what does that mean? You know, it's more about interconnectivity, smart automation. And then that also really feeds into the shift into industrial capitalism where everything is, you know faster we've we've got to deliver faster and we've got to be cheaper and we've got to be more agile so I think that a lot of the time I I have a lot of empathy for hiring managers when they do say I just want the best candidate because the globalization in the world is actually driving you know this this shift that we have to be faster we have to be cheaper Um, and and so I can understand where that drive is coming from. And in fairness, they're not the ones that are out there talking to the market. That, that's what we're doing. So there's a real education piece around that and, and how we navigate and how we, you know, take them on that journey and, and help them through uh, to see that, well, we'll hold on a moment. The best doesn't mean that it's going to be cheaper, faster and, and, and better because they may be demotivated. You know, they may feel stuck. They may feel that they're you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's there's a lot of correlation there with what's happening in the world and and how we are evolving um, as as a as humanity. Um, so that's probably another element that I, I think is really important to consider.
0: Yeah, I think to your, to your point around the I think the, the LinkedIn survey um, eighty six. I don't think it was LinkedIn actually, but 86. eighty six percent. Um, yeah, that's a that's a huge amount for anything. Um, and I think that's in, it, what's what I find encouraging, is that I think, and this was part of the reason for, um, you know, having the, the the conversation that we're having today around around engagement of people um, that we want to hire, rather than just the attraction piece, because I think that more than ever, it's always been important, but more than ever actually being engaged with the brand or the mission or the you know the, the story or the values of the business that you're joining is more more important to candidates than it's ever been now that is not to say of course that there are still aren't people out there who will take up take the you know the role from the, the highest bidder um, or the best offer or you know the one with the best perks or whatever it might be um but i'm encouraged well before i heard that stat i was encouraged that actually you know we're people are making decisions based on what's what's important and how they, you know, their, their feelings about things and how they're in, they're engaged with what they're going to be doing for 40 plus hours a week for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. So um, yeah, that's, 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 that's really encouraging. Oli.
1: Sorry, I was, I was just going to be a bit controversial and, and, you know, like, think about the, the 86% of people that say they would potentially take a drop for the for the right reasons. I guess what I'd be really interested in seeing is the people that have actually done it. I think that's a yeah,
0: much smaller number.
1: Yeah.
2: I think the other side of that too, um, Ollie, is um the age bracket they're at and what's I, important for them in absolutely. that that stage of life because financial um security and stability becomes much more important when you get yourself a mortgage and you get yourself <laughs> a family.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. Definitely yeah yeah totally agree. I, I just in in our experience over the you know the last couple of years, I, there there haven't been many people I think that I've seen, and this is just firsthand colloquial. I haven't collected any data on this, but there haven't been many people that I've seen that have taken the lower the lower offer. yeah,
2: you know? we we I, used to we used to have quite a number of people who would come to paper cut for less money. Yeah. it's not a factor anymore. Yeah. when're We're not seeing that anymore.
3: It's like when they always say it's not about money until it's about money. Until
2: it's about money,
4: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an easy thing to tick on an online poll, isn't it? And then right. um, when, you, when it comes to signing the contracts, perhaps some other other factors might come into play. Cool. All right, well, look, that's um, I, I feel like we could we could sit here all afternoon and evening talking these talk, talking these topics into the ground. But um, I think it's been a really good really good conversation. I really enjoyed um, the, the, the chat with you all. Um, and I think I know I've taken some I've learned. Some things from from the conversation, taking some insights from some of the things that you're doing in your organizations and some of the some of the things that you've highlighted that I wasn't perhaps across and some new ideas and some things like that. So I've really, really enjoyed the conversation and I, I, I just want to thank you all for your time.